Brothers and sisters, children, the passage we just read is, of course, for the Christian, uh, one of the most exciting and celebratory passages in all of God's Word. After all, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And so when we have been changed from the old into the new, from Adam into Christ, um, we, of course, have the ruling, controlling force of the gentle, quiet Spirit of God within us. And by that Spirit, we aspire toward things upward. Um, and so here comes together really the clash uh, that is manifest sometimes more overtly, sometimes more subtly in all of God's Word, uh, particularly following the fall in uh, the book of Genesis. We see that that clash that cosmic-sized clash between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, uh, darkness uh, uh, unfolds. Uh, and we see how the one seed that has been promised Adam uh, that was to come in the Lord Jesus Christ, that through that one seed, the, the authority, the dominion, power, and presence of evil and the evildoer, Satan himself, uh, will be crushed, will be overcome, will be conquered. And so when we are at the beginning of the book of Revelation and when we imagine standing there and hearing these words for the first time along with our brothers and sisters who were living 2,000 years ago, these were words that were not telling us something new. Not that we finally figured out that the King of uh, Kings and the Lord of Lords is in fact King because he overcame. He did overcome when he died on the cross and rose again victorious. But we and they, then, we need encouragement. We need to persevere. We cannot give up. We cannot compromise. We cannot let the world dictate how we think and how we act because that dictation by the world is very powerful still. Satan is a conquered enemy, but he is still present. He is given a certain, but limited, but certainly a, uh, a certain uh, power and authority to do what he must do according to God's plan and perfect by the way always uh, Satan is not in freedom that makes him as it were sovereign to do as he pleases uh, all is under control God is in charge he's on the throne but as such it is true that we have still ourselves as not the church yet glorious but the church um, that is uh, in battle um, militant we call that the church militant uh, we have to hear these words uh, to our comfort and our encouragement but also to remind ourselves that um, we need to persevere in that faith that we have professed through faith in Christ Jesus and so my theme that I think is uh, uh, reflecting the, 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 the sentiment of the passage is the Christian hope of the heavenly city inspires us to make every day count uh, when you think about all the beauty, all the glory, all the majesty that is described for us, that which awaits us, how in the world can you live your Christian life as if that doesn't matter? How can you do work? How can you do anything that God calls us to do in a half-hearted way? Because the king is coming. And you're not doing your work for your paycheck. You're not taking care of your spouse your children or your neighbors 
just because you want to be human. It's good to be human. <laughs> but you do it for Him. Because when the Holy Spirit indwells us, we do everything for Him. Nothing is mediocre. Nothing is mundane. It is truly theological. It is truly for the glory of God that we live in this world and we give it our all every day, 24-7. So the Christian hope of the heavenly city inspires us to make every day count. My first point is, as you see in the bulletin, we're tired of Babylon. The Christian community, the Christian church, we are tired of living in Babylon. Babylon, if you have gone through the book of Revelation, you know that um, the woman of Babylon, huh? the, sa- the adversary, God's uh, adversary, Satan, uh, Babylon stands for the existence of, of, of life in this world, for humanity in particular, not under God and his lordship and his rule and dominion. Yes, I said a moment ago, everything is ultimately under his dominion, but it is man in rebellion against God who thinks that there is an alternative way to live just as happily, if not more happily, when we do not worship Christ, when we do not worship the creator of the universe, but instead follow our own um, um, uh, desires and uh, objectives and ambitions, which is exactly what Satan wants. So when we don't worship God, the Bible tells us, we will worship something else. That is always Satan's goal, to keep your eyes away from God's beauty, as we will see in a moment, uh, his life, his love, his joy, uh, to come up with some kind of alternative that might just be just as good. We who have come to have our eyes opened to the truth that there is nothing good in us. My heart is perverted. I am corrupt by sin. I may not be as sinful as I could be. We call that the doctrine of total depravity or radical depravity, as Sproul uh, coins it. That is to say that in all our aspects of our humanity, we are affected, tainted by sin. I may not murder somebody, but that doesn't mean anything in terms of my condition before God. We are all equally in need of grace, the forgiveness of our sins, because the judge is coming, the one who laid down his life for me on the cross. He is coming as the judge of the nations. And when I don't have the blood covering my soul, I know from God's word what will happen. And so we're tired. As Christians, we're tired. But are you tired? Are you really tired of Babylon? Well, I can't know that, right? To a degree, we can say, you know, this is really important to us and so forth, and we you know, may uh, have some thoughts about that. But ultimately, you alone know if you're still in Babylon or not. Or are you as a Christian trying to live in Babylon and in the heavenly city? I'll tell you, that is a stretch between earth and heaven. can't be done. It's either one or the other. 
Are you tired of Babylon? What is your deepest longing? God provides shalom. That's the Old Testament's understanding of life being really good. Life as it should be. Life as it once was. Before we in Adam fell in sin. Life in Eden was very, very good, the Bible says. We had everything supplied. We were given a wonderful task of taking care as stewards of this creation. It, all was joy. All was peace. There was no strife. There was no um, uh, dissonance in the relationship between Eve and Adam. But when sin comes and invades Eden, you can't live in Eden anymore. And so God expelled them from Eden to live in the world that they had designed for themselves. And what a great world that became. Cain and Abel, the wars, the famines, the murders, the abuses, incest, all these horrible things that we still hear about today. That's why the passage is a reminder to us that we live in that world when it says there will be no more. No more death, no more crying, no more pain. Because that is the world in which we live. It's a sad world. It's a world that Satan wants us to believe in. That it is a world that we can live in forever. But we all know that that is a false message. And so if we have the Spirit of God, we know more and more, as, Paul, as Peter says in his letter to the, to the Christians uh, that to whom he writes, uh, he says that we are strangers and aliens. So my question to you is, does that strike you, this comment, this instruction today, does that resonate with you? Can you say, yes, that's right. Uh, this past week or a month ago, whatever it is, I was confronted with that. That I said to myself, here is one of those moments where I know I am really not at home in this world. And I don't know what I was for you. It could be that you saw something on TV or you saw something in the workplace or you saw something in your own heart. But it is something that says that we are, as believers in Christ, living in an alien world. A world that is antithetical to the kingship and lordship and the peace and the beauty of God. We celebrate that the devil is conquered. The beast and the false prophet has been, have been overcome. But we need to be reminded that that is not just the whole truth. It is where the truth begins. But the completion of the truth picture is that we are someday going to be somewhere. There's no annihilation. There's no, okay, you die and then that's it. A lot of people think that. But we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And it's either heaven or hell. And there's only one way to go to heaven. And there's a certain way to go to hell. 
And if you and I, while we say we are Christians, but we are Christians in name only, evidently, by having a heart and a passion for this world only, really, when it comes down to it, then you should be wiggling around in your chair right now. It should begin to feel hot in your chair. Because that is only a prelude to the hotness that is coming. When we are not having our hearts and souls and minds focused and concentrated on the holiness of God in Christ Jesus, displayed, demonstrated on the cross. Why do you think in the world that you are going to a place that is called heaven? If you have no desire for heaven, if you have no um, focused, concentrated, intentional uh, way of living that says, this is the thing, the principle that controls my life. With all the ups and downs, we'll see that in the second service, when we talk about the doctrine of the church in the 25th chapter of the Westminster Confession, uh, there's the ups and downs in life, ups and downs in the life of the church. But for each believer, it is true that we have the Holy Spirit who uh, gives us that desire to have an upward um, uh, attention for the city that is not yet here, but it is coming. And I know that for you who are believers in Christ, you know what I'm talking about. Because you long to be done with Babylon. You want to be done with life in this world. The world promises you this, and it promises you that. And when you find out sooner or later, you do find out that it was false promises. It was deceit. It was, in, it was um, imitation. But it's never the real thing that only Christ can comfort us with. Life in him forever. That leads me to that desire that we also then have for God's beauty. So negatively, we want to be done with, world, with, the, with the, the world that we live in, marked by sin and the fall in Adam. But positively, we want to head toward the beauty of God. How beautiful the creation was originally. And we, of course, weren't there. But we believe that from God's word. When God says, the creator of life, he says it is very good. I, I'm, I'm believing him. Uh, it was very good. Life was beautiful. It was pristine. There was nothing uh, imperfect about the world. There was nothing flawed. Um, the whole creation was just radiant with God's beauty. Because God is beautiful. Because God is perfect in all his attributes. We serve an amazing God. And this God has disclosed himself to us people, sinners in Adam, so that we might have our eyes opened and see that the Las Vegas of this world is not a real thing. It's fake. It's imitation. We are aspiring not to saving the planet. We are looking for a planet renewed, restored, and not even just to its original pristine condition, but to its nth degree. 
What a world we will be living in. No more death. No more sin. No more broken hearts. No more poverty. No more drugs. No more prostitution. No more crime. No more corruption. That this world is so filled with and it is accelerating in the very times in which we live. Verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And in verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All of that is the antithesis again, the opposite to God's beauty. Now with our Reformed forefathers, we believe that the presence of God in his wholeness, in his purity, in his beauty, is still present in this world but as Calvin says, there are traces of it. But those little traces are enough for us to be able to live in this world and be a scientist, uh, for example, or do anything else that God calls us to do in this world, to be stewards of him in, the, in, in, in this world. Uh, but nevertheless, it is um, uh, falling so far short because of all the evidences that are all around us that we are longing for God's beauty to come and I see that beauty described in the way in which John in the vision is describing the city and of course maybe a little bit difficult for us to sort of appreciate that maybe maybe that was uh, for the first hearers of this text 2,000 years ago uh, maybe a little bit uh, less difficult but um, the fact remains that we can certainly understand with aids and helps and so forth, that this description of the city is really extraordinary. There's no city like this in this world. Um, you know, I have visited many cities in the world uh, by now, and uh, I've seen some really beautiful cities. Paris, Milan, mention it. Mexico City, um, New York City, uh, just on and on it goes. Uh, there's some really beautiful places. Uh, but none of them are like the city of heaven, the city of the Lamb, because they all lack the beauty that was and will be someday. The Jerusalem of Jesus is a very beautiful place. It is just as beautiful as Jesus himself is beautiful. Have you thought about Jesus being beautiful? Maybe you think I'm going in the wrong direction here. I'm not. Jesus is beautiful because Jesus is God and God is beautiful. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That is beauty. 
He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Beauty. And how we mess things up. Have you ever been the last ten years to uh, a museum of modern arts? We took uh, high school kids back in the 90s to um, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And I saw some things that I thought, I hope these kids don't see it. Um, How we mess things up in the city of man. And it sells. We truly need the grace of God, don't we? As a society, as a world, as an individual, to have our eyes open. Because we all believe Satan's lies. By nature, that's our natural predisposition to have uh, an openness to the falsehood that is presented as truth. But don't despair. Graces are here. You in whom the Holy Spirit lives. The beauty of Christ is in us. That sounds strange, doesn't it? And it's not because I don't have any wrinkles or have no deficiencies anymore, because I do wrinkles. But it is because of, on a spiritual faith level, Christ in us. The old is gone, the new has come. Beauty. Finally, do we seek out the Lamb? We're tired of Babylon. We are enthused, inspired about God's beauty in Christ Jesus, reflected in how the city and its life will be organized and experienced. But then more centrally, the focus is on the Lamb. Because I don't want any of us to look at life and say, you know, I'm hurting I am miserable, and I just can't wait for the day I die. Saying that as a Christian. And that doesn't sound like faith to me to begin with, but let's just assume that we follow that argument, and you just hope for the end to come, because then you're done with your problems. That is tragic, too. That is not faith. The faith should operate in us, and yes, in some levels, it fluctuates, of course, But our desire for heaven is not to be done with life here, but it is because of him who is in heaven. And yes, of course, and as a chaplain, I did many funerals, and I've heard these phrases, and you've heard them too, and dad is now in a better place. And it simply meant sort of like, you know, he's done with suffering in this world. I find that sad. And it always sort of, I understood it well, but it always sort of irked me and still does when I hear it said that way, when it is not with the positive emphasis on Christ. I am leaving this world someday. I'm thanking God for the gifts and blessings that he has given to me. 
I can even thank him for the hardships that he's given to me as well because they were instruments that he used me to drive me to Christ and keep my eyes on Christ. Read the Puritans. They will remind you of that aspect very well. But the ultimate desire then is that we aspire, long for the city to come because of the Lamb. Because he is our husband. We are his bride. And we are prepared for him. And we are awaiting the union with him. Where we are together with him at the table. Where we are his beloved. And we love him. And we do that with perfection. We love him when we are given our tasks in the new world to come. I'm sure that we won't be sitting on bleachers and spectating the angels. But we'll be working. We'll be active. We'll be doing something. Because that sense of continuity we see also in Scripture. For example, in the book of Isaiah. But do we seek out the Lamb? Do we seek out the Lamb now? Today? That's the question. We do. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. If you're a Christian, you are drawn to the light. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use an illustration that is sort of negative, but making the same point. My wife knows, she says, where this is going. (laughs) Have you had any issues with moths? (laughs) Any of you have homes where there are no moths? I want to live in your house (laughs) for the next two weeks. We've had moths in our house. And they were everywhere as soon as you turn on the light, especially up in the loft. They were buzzing around my head. I got almost scared. They were just attacking me. Now, I don't think I look like a light bulb, but they come to the light. Moths are drawn to light. Are you? You're not a moth. You're very nice. You don't smell, you don't have dust on you, you don't have these funny eyes staring at you, but are you drawn to the Holy Spirit's light, which is the light of the Lamb, which is the light of Christ, which is the light of God? I pray that all of us do have that experience more and more, tired of Babylon, longing for heaven. Amen. Father in heaven, we do long for heaven. We are supposed to be there, but we aren't there yet. And as the apostle also reminds us in one of his letters, we are not citizens of this world, but we are citizens of the kingdom to come. And so as we wait, we also work. And we do that very diligently because in all the aspects of our day-to-day living, we want to honor and glorify you. Father, we pray, will you apply these truths then to our lives, empower us by your Holy Spirit to be living lives in expectation of that which is to come, the very best. Amen.